Welcome to the Friday, July 6, 2007 edition of the American Awakening. I'm your host, Michael Herzog, and I will be with you for the next two hours. Good Friday to you. And just to show that I'm a nice guy, I want to wish George Bush a happy birthday. He's a human being, and he was born on this day, so I'll wish him a happy birthday. And also, my ex-wife, Linda, happy birthday to you. She would happen to be born on the same day. And speaking of human beings, um, you know, I was listening to Ed and the Lane Brown show because I am a listener to RBN, uh, even though I'm also a broadcaster, and I found it very fascinating, the guest that they had, John Stewart. Now, I, I've, I've uh, chatted by email with John Stewart on occasion, and he has come up with an idea that I find is really fascinating, and I'm going to explore this to a bit because I have, a lot of you know, I have read the Internal Revenue Service Code, and I mean, I've read it cover to cover because I'm a total idiot, and it's, uh, well, at the time I read it, I think it was 1,100 pages, and yes, uh, he was talking about the difference between a person and a human being, and in the law, they define us as persons, and in reality, we are human beings, so I want to actually get John Stewart up and talk about that a little bit. I want to investigate that a little bit further because I can't tell you for sure, but this gentleman may have just found a solution to this debacle, not only with Ed and Elaine Brown, but also with the rest of us as American citizens. So with that, I want to remind everybody, continue to boycott uh, Exxon and Mobil because the gas prices, at least in Phoenix, Arizona, are coming down, folks. Now, today, I have got, on every Friday, I have a guest that comes up, Alan Watt. A lot of you know who he is. Um, he has CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And uh, I had the opportunity to go in and explore CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com last night. I actually uh, took the time to listen to a couple of his recorded radio shows, and I went and explored some of the um, uh, old interviews that he's had with people who have had incidences with the government in one capacity or another um, regarding CPS, regarding uh, calls to the hospital for an ambulance, and just different things that the uh, uh, the way the government is responding now seems to be different than it was in, in years past. And uh, today, what I want to do is I want everybody to get their pen and paper out, and I want you to write down that website, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I want you to go in there and take a look around, because at RBN, we're about solutions. I'm really, really excited today, folks, not just because it's Friday, but because I had the opportunity to take the time and listen to Ed and Elaine Brown's show today, and, had, and John Stewart came up with a fascinating idea that's a possible solution to the debacle over the Browns. It's a possible solution to this entire Internal Revenue Service system. But also the solutions, we're going to talk today with Alan Watt about who these people are again that are, you know, forcing this agenda on us and some of the things that we can do to ultimately eliminate it, get back to square one with the Constitutional Republic. I'll be back in three. Michael Herzog of the American Awakening. Stick with me. Got a real good show today. Look forward to hearing from Alan Watt. All right, we're back. Michael Herzog, the American Awakening, coming to you on this lovely Friday in Phoenix, Arizona, probably 110 degrees outside. Glad I'm in the air conditioning. I've got my guest, Alan Watt, on today. And today, you know, again, at RBN, we like to look at solutions. And I'll tell you, I, I have perused through uh, Alan's website. I did so pretty intensely last night, listened to a couple of his radio shows, um, and I'm going to allow him to paint the dark picture, if you will, of who these people are behind the scenes that are you know, projecting this agenda upon us, but also 
he has some DVDs, he has some books that he's written that really would allow people to cut through the matrix, if you will, no pun intended, and to uh, awaken themselves to realize that once you understand who these people are, and once you realize the tools that they use to control you, with fear, mostly, okay, and once you have totally come to that conclusion, then the fear subsides, you understand who you're dealing with here, and we can take some steps to uh, um, put our society back to where it was with the Constitutional Republic. Are you with me, Alan? Yes, I'm here. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well, thanks. I, I mentioned, again, you know, I, I had the opportunity, I had the privilege of going into your website last night, and I spent about four or five hours in there. And with you, Alan, you know, you're such a complex individual, it's, it's hard to know where to begin. So, and I know um, uh, my listeners have heard you uh, on my show numerous times, um, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time today, uh, you know, defining again who the New World Order is and the powers that be. But I do want you to give us a quick synopsis, uh, Alan, of how these people came to be and what their agenda is before I move on to some other issues that, uh, you know, that we can discuss at length. Well, what you have is simple trained ignorance into the public's um, minds of withholding knowledges that have been here for thousands of years on societal control uh, cultural creation and cultural change when necessary by um, in the old days it was kings with their courtiers and they had uh, they had many advisors that could keep their pulse on the public that spies within the public and they could always keep control because the the number one issue of any government in any era is to preserve itself, preserve itself by any means and all means possible for them, themselves and their own posterity, their own offspring. And uh, these sciences, as I say, they're, they're Machiavellian, and uh, they were in existence long before Machiavelli was trained to, to use them. And, and uh, the ancient Greek philosophers wrote a lot about the techniques to be used on the, on the people, and Plato himself talked about how culture was given to the public from the top down an authorized culture and when necessary they could update that culture and literally swing the values of it upside down in one generation and the existing generation wouldn't even notice the change it would be done so slickly and in your own lifetime I'm sure you've already seen that happen with uh, sexual mores and everything else uh, and how it's slickly it's all been promoted again from the top, from the media, from entertainment, uh, fashion, and so on. The very things that Plato talked about using, including drama, um, these were all understood thousands of years ago. So when you're born into a system, every generation is born into a system which they take for granted. They think it's natural. They think it must have evolved this way. It never occurs to them that mankind could go off in a thousand directions. Uh, and it's as simple as that. See, all mammals, and they, again, they even said this in ancient times by studying all creatures, mammals are warned by an adult what to beware of. And if your parent doesn't know what's really going on, and, uh, and they haven't a clue, the child will take it for granted that everything he does, copying his parents, is quite natural. And that's why now you have a generation growing up, uh, they've been trained... Uh, with video games, games designed for the military, 
for 20 odd years that was done on purpose it was meant to desensitize troops from killing and they gave them to children uh, years ago because they wanted a generation to police the planet and to police uh, the civilian population of the planet they wanted a population of, of almost barbarians that would have no moral ties to family or spouses or anything else and they've done it well, okay, uh, Alan, but would you agree with me that these people, the powers that be, New World Order, Illuminati, whatever you want to call these people, whatever tag you want to put on them, mm-hmm. would you not agree with me that in order to keep themselves safe, in other words, to keep that curtain pulled around them mm-hmm. and not be exposed, is to keep us dumbed down? Yeah, because if, if we were to awaken, if we were to rip that shroud away from them, and expose them for who they are, then they could no longer control us through their fear-mongering. Is that, would you agree with that? Yeah, again, again even the, the whole, every technique, every system of government that we know today, republicanism, uh, communism, democracies, were all explained again by the ancient Greek philosophers. It was well understood, and they knew that... Um, how to keep control of each type of system as long as possible but they also knew that democracy was the best method to use for a final solution to their control over the entire planet because they knew like in the days of Plato they would have a world domination of the whole planet by a few and um, they went on about democracy being the best method because the masses of men 80% of the public will always go along with what the elite want them to do and so right, democracy, I, they, would, they said they'd push democracy in the final phases to make this happen. Okay, I understand that. And, and on my program, what I try to do on my program is to, uh, you know, my key issue is to awaken people and to get my listeners to contact their friends, neighbors, and relatives and to get them to listen, sort of like the inviting somebody to church and RBN is church here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a position here where they're putting the final pieces of the puzzle in to cement yep. into place their new world government of which they have been thinking about or they have been planning for, for hundreds of years, literally. Yeah, and, oh yeah. Yeah, and included in that, I mean, they have the the wisest of the wise, the most brilliant people who are also, I believe, they they uh, uh, you know they they educate or indoctrinate the psych psychopath in in the the small minority of people, three to five percent that will do anything for power, and these think tanks that that they have, the Rand Corporation, the Heritage Foundation, and so forth. These people are put together the the most you know the the most brilliant of brilliant people to basically strategize and put these pieces of the puzzle together in such a way to confound, confuse, and to convince um, the dumbed-down American people that, you know, this is right. I mean, this is what these think tanks do, right? Oh, yeah. They've always recruited from universities, uh, the brighter ones that they could give scholarships to, take under their wing and uh, really reward tremendously well to ensure their loyalty. And they've worked on think tanks, and I've done a lot of talks. You'll find them on my site on this very subject, because they wrote about it 300 years ago and onwards, that that's what they do. They create foundations, uh, great foundations that would use the guise of charitable works. But in reality, they would be giving um, particular outlets of culture to the media, which would then propagate it to the public and, and think it was all quite natural. Uh, there is no free media in this world at the top. It's all controlled at the top. 
and that's why you only have one or two main routers, like like Reuters is router, you know, of, right. of mainstream media. Right. Well, now tell me, uh, do a brief synopsis of how this all ties in with the secret societies and the Masonic, uh, because I know that you know the the secret societies, the Skull and Bones, the uh, you know the the Knights of Malta, all of these people tie in. And they have literally crept in like tentacles of an octopus throughout all levels of our society. Um, and it is a, a large portion of the reason why they control what they do is because of the Masonic uh, uh, orders, correct? Yeah, that's right. The lowly Mason thinks that, that um, he's joining a, a sort of self-improvement society at the bottom. And there's only a sifting mechanism for for a centralized command to pick out those who could be use, useful in creating public opinion, like uh, local newspaper editors, that type of thing. That's mm -hmm. really what it is. It's, it's a sifting ground for those who can keep secrets because they are tested. And, of course, the secrets are really... Why would a charitable organizations need to take blood oaths and swear secrets, uh, oaths uh, to be killed by their fellow brethren as should they divulge the secrets? What's so secret they must keep that hidden from the public? And think about it. Uh, including the low masons, I'm asking them, think about that. <laughs> because the reality is their job, and they swear loyalty and allegiance to the system. They uphold it against all anarchy. And it's quite interesting because these are the guys who led the revolutions in the 1700s to bring in this part of the system. They're now swearing to, to abide by it and prevent anarchy at all costs. So, so, so the promotional levels in in the masonry, and we get up to the higher degrees. And I've heard, you know, once you get past a certain degree, like thirty third degree mason, they they uh, enlighten you to whatever it is that they're really worshiping. Is that correct? Yeah, they do, and and they use it uh, even at that stage. They use it, uh, Lucifer, as an allegory of illumination or an intellect at that stage. And so even guys at the 33rd still think they're, uh, they're just the brightest of the bright. And um, see, masonry brings you through a staging process of, of ridding you, gradually shedding you off your previous religion, making you an atheist partway through, and then feeding you a new religion as you go up. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you find that, I mean, obviously they have some kind of, whether it's overt or covert, uh, psychological testing involved uh, to promote these people, if you will. We've got to take a break. We'll hold that thought. We'll be back in free with my special guest, Alan Watt. We're going to get into the semantics of all this, folks. Stick with me. It gets really good. Be right back. back. Michael Herzog, The American Awakening, coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona, with my knowledge and knowledgeable and brilliant guest, Alan Watt. And we're, we're talking about, uh, uh, well, we're giving a background here a, a bit on the powers that be, the New World Order, the Illuminati, if you will. Um, and, and the thought comes to mind, I was talking about, Alan, the psychological testing that they do at all levels, in the military, in the police department, you know, in the Masonic levels, I'm sure it's the same modus operandi. And what I'm trying to get to here, first of all, is know your enemy and know their tactics. Um, I think, and as a matter of fact, I think I ran across this in one of your radio interviews when I was listening last night, and the Revolutionary War. 
um, it took 20 to 25 years worth of preparation before they ever made the decision to go to war. Is that correct? Supplies and munitions, and uh, they had routes set up on islands off the U.S. coast to bring in uh, this sort of thing as a covert action. It took many, many years of getting it all prepared to get the backup and, and the systems they would need to carry a full-fledged war from beginning to end, uh, and lots of contacts in Europe and places where ships could come in, and even setting up the Brotherhood uh, routes for the ships to come in where the British wouldn't uh, catch them. So this was all planned in years, years in advance, and Benjamin Franklin went through quite a bit of that in some of his writings. And Franklin also said that anyone who thinks it was a spontaneous war over a paltry tea tax uh, or a stamp tax is being very silly. He said uh, this was pre-planned long, long before. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, I, I'm right in saying that through all levels, uh, and this has been going on for a long time, whether it's in the Masonic, they, they move up in their, their, the levels of degrees um, based upon watching an individual over a period of time and deciding what type of psychological makeup they have or if they have psychopathic tendencies, uh, the same in the military, the same in the police department, they give them psychological testing to see if they fit into their particular modus operandi. Would, would that be a correct statement? Absolutely. They've even showed it on television. They showed, they showed it on um, a documentary from the BBC on American personnel who worked in the nuclear submarines, and particularly on the, on the men who used the keys. Two men used keys uh, to unlock each stage of the failsafe. And when he was asked, uh, the commander of the base at the Holy Loch in Scotland, how they can be guaranteed these men will carry this out at the thought of creating mass destruction of what they're doing, he said uh, they're thoroughly examined for psychopathic tendencies, and that's why they have these particular positions. Yeah. Okay, and so even, I mean, I, I, it takes me back to, uh, you know, when they're uh, recruiting for the military, uh, you know, they'll, they'll ask the, the recruit if he would kill an American. Yeah. And if he, the answer to that question is no, they'll ship him off overseas. If the answer to the question is yes, they'll leave him here. That's right. Um, so, so there's a, a number of different psychological testing, uh, both covert and overt testing that they do to determine uh, who they are. And the way that they move up the ranks is in their level of evil, if you will, or deception, or the ability to uh, take orders and to uh, commit diabolical acts, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, with that in mind, now let's 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 move forward a little bit here because I've got a lot I want to cover and I've got a short time to do it. Um, the I, I notice and I want to read this to you uh, to get your take on it. Now, for uh, oh, it's a good year and a half at least since uh, George Bush signed this agreement with uh, then Vince, or Vincente Fox, then President of Mexico, and uh, also uh, Prime Minister at that time uh, from Canada, Martin on this North American Union. And for all this time since that signing, Alan, they have kept it secret. They have denied it. People would call into their congressmen or senators, ask them about it. They would plausibly deny it. They would uh, uh, tell the person calling in a lot of times that they didn't know what they were talking about or it was a conspiracy theory. And there's really only one mainstream individual um, that was reporting on it at all, and that's Lou Dobbs. Um, and now I find in WorldNet Daily 
then I'll read a, a portion of this to you, a small portion of it, that all this time that we've been reporting on this in the alternative media and all the time that we've been warning people and trying to wake them up about the North American Union, now it comes out, and this was posted May 24th, a powerful think tank chaired by former Senator Sam Nunn and guided by trustees including Richard Armitage, Zbigniew Brzezinski, Harold Brown, William Cohen, Henry Kissinger, is in the final stages of preparing a report to the White House and the U.S. Congress on the benefits of integrating the U.S., Mexico, and Canada into one political, economic, and security block. So now, it looks like in the fall, this is going to become mainstream. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. And when it was done in March 2005, the actual signing, which was just a formality, they'd already been integrating us before that. Um, I recorded it, the, the shows off the CBC News and Global News Network from Canada, and I played it over worldwide radio that night. And, uh, and let them hear these guys speak themselves, and they were saying all the same thing, that this was the... In fact, it was um, chaired by the Council on Foreign Relations, which is the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They said they drafted up the plans. They boasted they had it, the actual council had, and they had presented it to the government for ratification. So that was an amazing announcement, especially when the CFR came out for the first time as an actual body together, not just as a little advisor on a newscast. Okay, let's take a break with that. When we come back, we'll uh, expound on that a little bit further. This is Michael Herzog with American Awakening coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona with my brilliant and knowledgeable guest, Alan Watt. We're going to get inside his head a little bit further when we come back, so stick with us. Back, Michael Herzog, the American Awakening, coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona, and um, we were talking. Alan and I were talking about the uh, well, the in the near future, the uh, implementation of the North American Union, which, by the way, they have kept secret for so long, and now it's coming out. It's coming, going to come out and be presented to Congress in the fall. And it reminds me of a quote that I read the other day, Alan, um, of a, a former member of the Council on Foreign Relations, Admiral Chester Ward. And um, uh, he says that once the ruling members of the Council on Foreign Relations shadow government have decided that the U.S. government should adopt a particular policy, the very substantial research facilities of the Council on Foreign Relations are put to work to develop arguments, intellectual and emotional, to support the new policy and to confound and discredit intellectually and politically any opposition. And this is put together by these think tanks. So what they have done is they have used this vehicle to put together their sales plan, if you will. They already have it set up. It was already implemented. But now, would you say that it's more or less just a formality, just kind of a charade? It's an act. It's a game to present it to Congress? In fact, even during the free trade negotiations, which was a precursor of NAFTA, um, it was already decided then when Shelley Ann Clark came out from Ottawa, the government in Ottawa, she she drafted all the books for the negotiations, and she said that by 2005 it will be announced of, uh, that the integration of Canada and the U.S. and Mexico was a done deal, and sure enough it happened in 2005, and yet she was going around telling people in, in 19, early 1990s uh, this had already happened with the free trade negotiations. So it was, we're, all, we're just living through a time plan here, a business plan, with the dates already formulated of implementation. 
Well, okay. So, and you have to forgive me because I'm I'm questioning you here. I, I'm learning a lot from you today, Alan, and I'm bouncing questions off of you that that I want answers to, as well as a lot of the listeners do. And I wanted to mention, you know, Alan has on his website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Uh, basically kind of a deprogramming for the dumbed-down Americans. And I would think, you know, you could use this if, you know, a lot of my listeners out there are very awake, but it would always be good to go through and watch what it is that we're dealing with. But also you would think about buying this for gifts for your neighbors, friends, relatives who have no idea, who are watching mainstream TV and who really don't know because they're so hypnotized by this. Um, Alan, these CDs that you have, would you say that they would uh, go a far sight to actually waking somebody up and showing them who it is they're dealing with? Yeah, it's, it's a deprogramming process. Everything is always a process. Even when you try and deprogram someone who's been under mind control uh, during the, the Cold War, they, they use these techniques. Uh, you have to go through a process of gradually bringing them out of it. And, um, and that's just what I try and do by giving them histories of ancient rule the techniques that were used on the public and it was well understood and I bring them gradually up to date these techniques and sciences are still being used by an elite who have archives of information and real history and these particular sciences stuff that, that, that the public are kept in ignorance of so that's what I try to do is to bring them through time through an actual process of time and how culture alters and how it's made to alter, it's made to, made to fit the next type of system that the elite have already planned. You see, in masonry, the idea of Freemasonry is that they build society, not, not structural buildings, but society. So they use archaeological um, um, terminology. Um, so it's architectural terminology they're using. They build society, they also build culture, and just like the old days in the Middle Ages when they were taking down a structure, they're also building the new at the same time right next door to it. And, and that's what they're doing with culture. They take down the old system that became the normal, and when it no longer serves their purpose, and they bring in a new system. And these guys at the top have already told us it's not just the amalgamation of the Americas. This is the amalgamation of the whole planet into three trading blocks. Now, Karl Marx talked about this in the 1840s. Same thing. A united Europe followed by United Americas and then a Pacific Rim conglomerate under a supreme world government. And so we're going through all of these changes right now. And it also means not just the free flow of goods and labor, but, but it, it truly is um, to be a brand new system of political correctness, of experts running the show, run than have it haphazardly um, working by us making our own decisions independently that's just too erratic for them it's not efficient it's a complete change of what we thought of as being culture and civilization hence the reason for these treaties NAFTA, GATT, CAFTA where the 85% of the manufacturing base of the American uh, economy is being you know, put offshore uh, and these free trade agreements are being signed because, as you say, they're taking they're they're really taking down uh, one country to build up another uh, for the the amalgamation of the entire planet into three sections. Yeah, and, and again, um, well, they, they did this in old in ancient times too, uh, when empires were built. Um, they'd often force people out of their country if they were a nuisance, they'd, they'd, and scatter them all over the globe. 
or else bring more people into that country to change the culture from another country. Uh, these are all ancient, well-understood techniques. Of, that, are only, that are only available through their archives with their info. They are the ones with all the money. They have the timeline implemented. So with, a, with an enemy, if you will, such as that, and a, a person that just wants to be a sovereign human being, live their life and be left alone and not have government intrusion, they have a timeline here of the Real ID Act in uh, May of 2008. 2010, they want to have the SPP fully implemented. Um, the, the, I believe there's a eugenics program involved here as well. Yeah, I mean, what, is there any chance in your mind, uh, through education, through deprogramming, through uh, enlightening yourself to a spiritual awakening, if you will, do we have any chance against these people? You, there's a chance if people come to realize, number one, who they are individually, not, not the composite of the indoctrinations we've all had. We've all had incredibly scientifically uh, induced indoctrinations of normals and normalities, even though they're constantly changing normal. Um, and, and, and we become composites. We've got to find who we are. And the public, the public themselves, the general population, would have to debate amongst themselves for the first time in history uh, what life is all about, what is the meaning purpose of, of our life for, for the people themselves. Are we here to serve others? Are we here to serve the system? Um, or is there more to life than just this? Um, that's never been debated by the public. They never will give the public a chance to do that. They tell us what it's all about, and they, they plan the future. In fact, they think we're incapable of judging ourselves uh, and, and coming out with any workable system. Which brings to mind absolute power corrupts, and, uh, and uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, th these people are obviously of the psychopathic mindset that. Uh, they have all the money, so they should have all the control, and you should do and just serve them. Yes. In fact, that, that really is part of the religion, the social Darwinistic theories of survival of the fittest. But they also mean by that the most aggressive and cunning, the ones who have got to the top and held on to power through generations in their own family. Uh, that, that's, their, that's what they believe is their MO for success and fitness holding on to that kind of power and not losing it. Uh, so that's why they specially breed each other and select each other as mates. They, they have no love within them for each other in a reality, uh, but they do know that they must be mated up with similar types and marry more power, more money uh, to keep it all together and have those offsprings that will be the same as themselves. They live through their own progeny. When when they uh, elevate themselves or are promoted thereby to these higher levels uh, within their system, I mean, are they incapable? Do they not have conscience? Do they not have uh, uh, emotion? Um, is it is it trained? I mean, are, are they are they uh, indoctrinated in such a way or or mind controlled maybe to a point in such a way that they just are incapable of human emotion? They're just like animals. Plato was quite right. Plato talked about this system. And the, the, the elite in his day were called the guardians of the system. They called them the guardians. They're still the guardians today. And he said, he said for the ordinary people, he called the ordinary people the its. We were not mm -hmm. people. And he said, we can breed them eventually like animals. Uh, if you want certain traits, we can breed those traits in or out of those by selective breeding and forced breeding. Well, it's the same thing with the elite, you see. Uh, when you have psychopathic traits, 
and you, you marry up someone else, a, a woman with psychopathic traits, there's a darn good chance the offspring will be psychopathic too. And, of course, the more they inbreed over the generations like that, the more they, they breed in that particular trait. And, and so they're, they're guaranteed a particular type of offspring that can be ruthless. And, yes, they have no normal empathy for other people. They don't feel empathy for others. And, they, and a psychopath can always rationalize any decision they make and any behavior they have, they'll rationalize it instantly. And, and uh, no matter how bizarre it would sound to, to, to listeners, uh, they will rationalize why they did it to suit their own ego. They are pure ego, in fact. Well, let me ask you that. I mean, let's, let's talk for a moment, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but let's talk for a moment about some of the compartmentalized agencies, for example, the uh, underlings in the Internal Revenue Service in the United States, for example. Now, these people, uh, I mean, I'm talking about just the paper pushers, just the people that carry out collection procedures and so forth, the lower level, if you will. It seems, and, and I believe me, I've had personal experience with this, Alan, it seems that these people of, are of that same mind. Mindset. They seem to be unfeeling, uncaring, no empathy whatsoever. Um, and, I mean, they're obviously put through a battery of psychological tests and so forth before they come into that position. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but they are evidently promoted up the ranks uh, based upon their lack of any, any emotional feeling. Absolutely. Uh, an ordinary person with empathy could not possibly take the roof from someone else's head and uh, put them on the street. Um, you, you need the psychopathic traits to do that, and they do select them for those purposes. And again, they, they, they have a probationary period to see who can take it and who can't, and some will crack up and leave. Other ones will stay there and do whatever they're told. So they do have the psychopathic traits. Remember, too, that the reason that, that society is so full of corruption and so on is that... Um, Psychopaths at the top give you a psychopathic culture to follow. And so the people in normalcy still emulate the traits of the psychopath, uh, the dog-eat-dog, the get-to-the-top-by-any-means. We call it success. That's mm -hmm. why the public are glued on the stars in Hollywood and those with lots of money and, and the, the, the Donald Trumps, etc. The ones who can get up there by cunning and uh, destroying other people on the way up and be able to handle that without breaking down with conscience. Well, and it goes back, it, it, this is all a part of knowing your enemy, if you will. And it goes back, you know, you said that there was, or I said that there was 20 to 25 years of preparation for the uh, Revolutionary War. And in my mind, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, Alan, but I know we, we talked a while back about, you know, that. The, the way that they feel the safest is to keep us dumbed down. But if you come away with and, and breed, if you will, and I'm talking about on the good side, uh, critical thinking Americans, people that wake up, people that break through that matrix with your CDs and they find out what's really going on here, yeah. that would scare the life out of these people. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And we're really stopping the group think. The group think is useless. Um, true changes in society and the world and great movements have happened with an individual here and an individual there starting to talk with the, with the circle around them and even tell their children and those children go to universities and those children then argue with the teachings because they have knowledge that the teacher didn't know they had um, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, that's how you change society you don't wait for a, a, a messiah or a white knight to come along or a lone 
gunmen to come to ride into town and do it all for you. You have to start uh, creating ripples yourself. Each person can create ripples all around them, and it's going to be done fast because we're the final stages of this particular system. Um, the, the present uh, youth, uh, youth group that's, that's growing up will know nothing but terrorism. They'll think it's all natural, just like their video games. Right, and yes. they, they will have no memory of anything called uh, rights and freedoms or special individual rights, and that they'll adapt right into this monstrous system. Right, and this is by design. I know that, and even I have uh, uh, been guilty of getting uh, addicted for a short period of time on these video games. You know, I have a, a, a son and I have a stepson that, uh, you know, that's all they would do for hours at a time when they would get out of school is play these stupid games. And I would sit down, you know, to spend a, uh, some quality time with my children and wind up getting hooked on myself to the point where, and I'm sure that they know this, it seems that you actually reach a, a lower level of consciousness because if there's any interference from the outside, for example, your wife coming in and saying, oh, by the way, can you go out and mow the lawn, it actually irritates you to yep. be um, you know, to be interrupted when you're in the middle of that. Yeah, and it so, brings you into an alternate reality. Right, and so uh, and doing this over a long period of time, it basically separates the individual from the reality of... Well, pulling a trigger in a war, for example, and actually killing a human being. Yeah, it desensitizes a person to do it because the only, the only motive of the game is to kill and eradicate whoever's in front of you and, and get to a destination. There's, there's no, no emotional contact whatsoever. Well, and, and that brings me, and, and again, I don't want to jump all around the board here, but there's so many things, there's so many questions and thoughts that go through my mind. It brings something else to mind. You had mentioned a few minutes ago, Alan, about, you know, one person that comes along. You know, if I take an example of Gandhi or uh, uh, Martin Luther King or somebody that actually, you know, stands firm for change and ultimately down the line, things happen. Now, there's an instance, and I know you're aware of this, of uh, in Plainfield, New Hampshire with Ed and Elaine Brown. Yeah. Who have who have taken a stand, and I want to get your take on this, Alan. They've taken a stand, and they've they've told the Internal Revenue Service to show them the law. They've been asking them to show them the law since 1996. The government will not show them the law. Yeah. I I happen to be listening to their show today because I'm a listener when I'm not on the air. I listen to their show. I listen to a lot of other shows, including some of yours on other networks, um, and I heard a gentleman today that came on their show. His name is John Stewart. And he mentioned, and by the way, I have read the Internal Revenue Service code here, and they refer to all of us, and I know and this excludes you because you're Canadian, but they uh, refer to all Americans as persons. And what, and the reason that they do what they do, according to John Stewart, is because we are all in the law uh, defined as persons. And there evidently is an escape in the law that he defined and he found in a, a particular uh, court case where if you declare yourself to be a human being, then these laws do not have any uh, uh, effect on you because according to their own writing of the law, they refer to you as a person and not a human being. And once they de you declare that you're a human being and you get their judicial entity to declare you a human being, then they have no jurisdiction over you. Now, yeah, hold I mean, that thought. We've got to take a break. All right. uh, let me hold that thought. We'll be back in three. Michael Herzog, The American Awakening. Stick with me. We've got a lot more to cover with my special guest, Alan Watt. Be right back. All right, 
We're back. Michael Herzog, the American Armageddon, coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona. A short segment coming up to the top of the hour. And I want all of you, uh, I want you to go into www.cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and I want you to think of the hard-headedest individual that you uh, approach. Maybe it's a, a Rush Limbaugh ditto head or whatever it is. Go in there and order these CDs on deprogramming. To, to enlighten these people, and if you haven't been able to make any headway with it, give it to them as a birthday gift or a Christmas gift or whatever, okay? But buy these and give them out to the hardest-headed people that you know, people that you can't cut through to the uh, to the heart core of, of the truth with, people that glaze over. You know those people we're speaking of. We're talking with Alan Watt, my guest. Um, Alan, we were on the subject of this gentleman, that John Stewart, that, uh, uh, you know, he came... He came across this this remedy in law, if you will, about um, you know the the legalese and all of the writings in the Internal Revenue Service Code about people being called persons. The definition of all of us is as a person, and there is a remedy in the law in um, uh, that basically says under antitrust laws the labor of a human being is not a commodity or an article of commerce. So nothing contained in that antitrust law shall be construed to forbid the existence and the operation of labor. This gentleman goes on to say, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, because the old definitions of slavery were someone who taxed your labor. You taxed, it's a struggle, it's actually work. You tax your work. You're being, your body, you tax your body when you labor. And so anyone who took the tax from you was, was put you in a form of slavery. That was well known uh, a few hundred years ago, you know. Everyone knew that, and uh, that's why all the big revolutions supposedly took place in the 1700s, was because of the incredible taxations uh, of people taking your labor under the guise of money, which they ran as well, the same people at the top. But, but yeah, there was always loopholes up until recently, but the fact is the guys are standing no nonsense now, as you can see. And yeah, they have definitions, even in the British Commonwealth countries, you're called a subject. Same mm-hmm. thing, you're called a subject, you're subject to the crown. Regardless of this great democracy they keep talking about, everyone is subject to the crown. And even the military and uh, even the post office uh, swears allegiance to the queen and the crown before anything else. So uh, everything is a joke, in a sense, it's a cover, it's a scam. It's all and, uh, <laughs> and it goes all the way back Every... to even the Bible. You know, in the Bible they defined uh, man and woman, and they mm-hmm. defined Adam and Eve, and the Masons used that black book in their lodges because they know the inner definitions of the meanings behind them as allegories for something else so that's why in Genesis you have in the beginning uh, in Genesis 1 uh, God created man and woman and that's the end of them you don't hear any more about them and then in the second chapter there's no one to till the soil so he creates Adam and Eve laborers <laughs> so, simple so- as that yeah. So we go back to in the archives that that you know they have access to, but we don't. Uh-huh. Uh, in their archives, they have the explanations and all of the uh, pertinent documented material that, that tells us all about this that they we are never privy to. Is that correct? That's right. Although they must give it to in some form, and a few people can figure it out. Uh, very few. And I figured that out when I was a child. I says, why did he create man and woman? In the same image, meaning godlike, that's what it meant, same exact image, imagio, in the Greek, and uh, same powers, and yet then he creates uh, Adam and Eve because there's no one to do the work. And that was the differentiation of the classes. (laughs) 
in the system. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, well, listen, we've got to take a break up at the top of the hour. Um, second hour coming up, and I've got a whole bunch more to ask you, uh, Alan. A couple things I ran across in a few of your uh, radio interviews that and I'm the first to admit I don't understand what they mean. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you about that. So stick with the second hour coming up. Michael Herzog, The American Awakening, with my knowledgeable and brilliant guest, Alan Watt. We'll be back in two. Stick with us. We're back. Michael Herzog, The American Awakening, second hour coming up here with my special guest, Alan Watt. And, um, yeah, Alan, I've got, I got so many places to go here. I want to mention again to the, the listeners to go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Take a little time. Listen to some of these interviews that Alan has done on different networks and some, some of the interviews that he has done himself. One in particular, uh, Alan, there's a, there's a fellow I listened to you interview this butch in Missouri and Martha, his wife, when he called the hospital because she was having a problem and what happened when uh, uh, when they showed up. I mean, some of the things that are going on in this country behind the scenes that people are not aware of are just, the, the, they make a hair on the back of your neck stand up. And I've interviewed Alan, I've interviewed a number, number of people, uh, you know, on my tenure on this network of some of the things that happen behind the scenes with the courts and with the uh, the CPS and so forth. And people just do not have a clue what's really going on. In this nation, yeah, yeah, there's a very good reason for that because you see, back in the 1950s, the the cultural creation associations, and they do have them. In fact, your censorship committees are actually the ones that promote a particular agenda. They're not there to safeguard you from 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 bad stuff on television. They decided there and then they would put drama and police shows and detective shows and social work shows and hospital dramas, all fictional works to give the public a fake idea of what life was all about around them. And most people really believe that rather than believe the, the reality because those agencies are not there for what you see on television at all. They're almost laws unto themselves. And we have been trained that whenever any expert or professional makes a statement or makes a decision, we must obey because they, they, on television, all these actors are so proper and so, so perfect in all their, their decisions and choices, and we, we are nothing. We're, we're very silly people who can't manage our own lives. So you don't realize what happened to Butch and Martha, Butch Chancellor and Martha. Um, it happens to thousands of people every day because when you're old now, you're supposed to just go in when they tell you to come in and they stamp you as being well, forgetful, um, incompetent, blah, blah, blah. And then once you're in, they take your pension from you. The hospital gets it to sign them over to, to them. Mm -hmm. And they put you in a hospice. And once you're in the hospice, you'll last maybe four or five months if you're lucky on the drugs that they give you. As you sit there in a coma with a, a drool coming from your mouth because of the halidol they put you on to keep you sitting in that seat. And, um, and then you die, and all the money uh, that was in your home, including the auction of your home, goes to the hospices. This is a business that's going on here. Right, and, and, and I, go ahead. And, and the police and all the rest of them are all in in there. Because for the to Butch, I mean, he just, uh, it was his neighbor that made the phone call. He wanted to get his wife in, and she'd been bedridden for years. He'd taken care of her himself, because the hospital 10 years prior to that had performed a brain operation and literally left her paralyzed. So, 10 years later, he, she's, she's not quite herself. He wanted her into the hospital for a checkup. The neighbors dialed 911, I think. And uh, th 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 these guys came in with the black clad outfits with fire 
on the back of them. They have interchangeable jackets now. So they claimed they were from the fire department, and they came through and they surrounded Butch um, with their pistols on their hips. Have you seen firemen with pistols on their hips? And they went straight, and the other team came in behind them, grabbed Martha, and away off to the hospital, where they did an assessment there and decided, yep, she's, she's old and she's unfit and blah, blah, blah. And they wanted to keep her there. So they did a, a psychological evaluation, which is just a formality. And by that standards, we'd all end up inside, to be honest with you. Um, okay. Listen, and, and we're going to... Go ahead. Let me, let me stop you. We're going to take a break. Let's continue this. This touches a nerve with me, because I'll tell you a quick story about my mother when we get back. But hold that thought. We'll be back in three minutes. Michael Herzog, The American Awakening, with my fantastic guest, Alan Watts. See you in three. Stick with us. We're back. Michael Herzog, The American Awakening, uh, coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona. Come a little bit closer and hear what Alan Watt has to say. We were talking about this interview he had with a gentleman by the name of Butch in Missouri and Martha, his wife, um, and the debacle that happened when they when his neighbor called 911. Um, go ahead and continue with that, Alan, and then I'll tell you a little blurb about what happened to my mother. Go ahead. Yeah, when they had uh, his wife in and, and uh, held her there... Um... They then tried to get him to come in when he objected, and he said no. He wanted her back home. He wanted to put her to a hospice, and this is a standard routine. And uh, and I told him, I said, don't go in. If you go in, the same team will assess you, and that's you in there as well, which is also the new formula. This is this is routine formula now. They try and get both in, and then they get they grab the house and belongings. And right, they grab yeah. the assets. Yeah, this yeah. is standard routine. It has been for years. You don't see that in the, the dramatized fictions on television. Um, so uh, eventually, because we did the, the show and, and talked about it and put the word out and had so many um, postcards and telephone calls coming into the hospital, they suddenly reversed the decision that, no, she wasn't incompetent after all. Uh, they, could, they could bring her home. And, and, and this is the key element, Alan, is that this kind of thing needs to be exposed. Now, I'm going to take a moment here and tell you, you know, my, my mother, rest her soul, she passed away. She had Alzheimer's disease, and she, of course, deteriorated over a period of several years. But I ultimately had to put her in an assisted living facility, and I, I took over as the trustee for her estate. She wound up spending down all of her assets. And uh, when it came time to where she had to qualify for Medicaid, I had to put her from an assisted living facility into a nursing home, full-blown nursing home. And, and coincidentally, within five weeks of transferring into a, a facility and uh, qualifying her for Medicaid, because she had spent down her assets, and what that means is the government now has to pay for it. Coincidentally, within five weeks after that happened, she succumbed to pneumonia. And... Uh, my, the, uh, when I had questioned the nurses about it in the report, um, they said she passed away with pneumonia, but what I had found out through research is that they had hospitalized her with pneumonia and ultimately given her a pneumonia shot after she already had pneumonia. Uh, yeah. Now, yeah. Not only that, though, you see, a lot of them, um, you see, because they do put them on medications once they're in. It's a big business to get them on medications, and they don't want the nuisance of individual people getting up and wanting to walk out of there. If you do, you're a nuisance and you're, you're put on a sedative. And, the, and if you're kept bedridden too, there's a chance of, it's called inhalation pneumonia. Your sal mm -hmm. saliva starts going backwards, you, it goes into your breathing tube, your trachea, and you have an infection there. And that's how most of them actually start. 
Well, it's in interesting that you said that because I had an ongoing fight throughout the entire period of time that she was in the assisted living facility because they continued to keep uh, sending her to a doctor who kept putting her on medication that was supposedly uh, supposed to not reverse but downplay the effects of Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. And they were very expensive drugs. Yep. And it, it was, you know, it was costing quite a bit of money out of her estate to continue to keep her on these drugs. And my question uh, to the doctor, of which, by the way, I was never able to talk to directly, my question was, why would you put somebody on a, a drug that would make them a little bit more of aware of an adverse situation that they didn't want to be in to begin with? Mm -hmm. um, and and so it was all about money. But when I found out, I was told that if I were to to make a determination to take her off those drugs, there's another agency that may very well intercede, sort of like a CPS, if you uh -huh. will, and declare that I wasn't competent to be a trustee and, uh -huh. in fact, would turn it over as a guardianship to the state. That's exactly right. That's the standard procedure. It's a, it's a business, and uh, we are a business. We've got to realize that we are the only business on the planet. We produce everything, and even if when we become sick, we're still part of a big business. And even pay death duties when you die, there's no peace even then. Uh, so we're owned. You see, we are property of, of the commercial system. And, uh, and this is spoken about in higher circles quite openly. They have no problems discussing this kind of thing to each other. And it's been like that for a long, long time. We are not in any kind of natural humane system at all. It's anti-human. And, and, and not only is it anti-human, but it's also an illusion. They create an illusion yeah. through their propaganda, through their, the, the, the media and so forth, to, to uh, allow the uh, dumbed-down American public to think, if they will, that they're living in a free society. And unless, uh, unless they are ever, ever at some instance affiliated with the system or indoctrinated into it at some uh, juncture, they, they can possibly go through their entire lives and never know. Um, most never know. Most never know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you never know well, this, that all these experts really have no authority. You're giving them your authority because you believe in them. You've been right, trained to my, believe in them. <laughs> yeah, and that's my point. I mean, it's sad to say, and you had mentioned uh, previously that, you know, uh, I've seen a lot in my lifetime. Yes, and what I notice now is that if I try to become, I mean, I'm talking about off the air now, Alan. If I try to get into a political discussion with your average American, they will pair it something that they've heard from their uh, hero or their icon, you know, Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity, but they have no depth behind it because they're just repeating what their favorite expert has, has told them to believe. That's all they can uh, do, and that's what Brzezinski said they would do with society. He said that the average person shortly will be unable to reason for themselves. They will expect the media uh, to do it all for them, and that has been projected onto us via the media and primarily through fiction, above all others, because in fictional dramas and movies, your sensor part of your brain is down. You're not expecting attack. Mm -hmm. You think you're being entertained, and that's when all of these dramas, which hook you emotionally, carry you through, and you don't realize you're being programmed with a false impression of a reality. Which takes me right back to uh, waking these people up and allowing them or training them, if you will, to start critically thinking again, you know, which, which would you know, take me right back in again to the cutting through the matrix and deprogramming the dumbed-down American or these people that parrot their icon, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, or so forth, hand them a copy of these videos and tell them to watch it 
um, and, and let them cut through this. Because I have to tell you, Alan, and I know you know this, that these the powers that be have done an excellent job of, I mean, they're really good at what they do. They, they're really good at dumbing down the American public to the point where, you know, it's all, when you try to speak to them, uh, for the most part, you're almost speaking a foreign language to them. They do not even understand what you're talking about. They don't. You you're right. They, they don't. Right. The, you, you mentioned the North American Union, or you mentioned forced vaccinations, or you mentioned uh, the Trans-Texas Corridor, or you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, any one of a myriad of subjects. And they, they glaze over like you're from a foreign planet. You know? Yeah, but they could tell you what Michael Jackson was last charged with. And, and, <laughs> we uh, are. That's what's given to them. And, and uh, that's what Brzezinski also said, that they'd only be able to repeat their previous download from the previous night's news. And, and that's what you're getting in conversation now. Right. Well, you know, off, the, off topic here for a moment, I have to ask you this before I forget it. Now, I was listening to one of your shows last night, and you brought up the, the term neutrino bomb. And I have to ask you what that means. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's really a neutron bomb. A neutron oh, a bomb neutron. Uh, works by neutrinos and the sudden uh, explosions of really, basically, a high light particles, which cause a, a shattering effect um, on all the... the the um, physical objects, the, the protoplasmic objects, they go through living creatures. That's that's what they're designed for. Dis disrupt your cells completely and kill you. So uh, they leave they leave all structures around you uh, intact. So you could literally wipe out a city and leave all the buildings intact. Yeah. Uh -huh. I see. Okay. It's an old weapon, actually. They, I think they came out with that in the in the sixties. Um, well, no, you had mentioned a neutrino bomb, and I had just hadn't heard that term. Uh, yeah. I wanted, and, that, and then that was totally off topic, but I wanted to touch a little bit on um, the Kyoto Treaty. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and uh, now this comes into, it ties in with the eugenics program, is that right? Everything uh, ultimately does, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, because the Kyoto is all to do supposedly, this is how, how they have such double meanings and things. They have nice fuzzy names about world peace. Well, you and I would say, well, peace, uh, sit, peace is sitting down and relaxing. That's what you say. Oh, that's my peace. Um, to them, no, they go into deeper and say, well, what is, what causes the absence of peace? And you have war, conflict, interpersonal conflict, and all these things. Well, how would you stop that? Well, you have to find out why there's interpersonal conflict, and then they go into the eugenics thing of of classes. Uh, behavioral types, different kinds of personalities, which ones are disruptive, which ones are, are placid, which ones could be useful in a future civilization, which ones you should eradicate because they'll pass on bad genes. Uh, all this stuff is contained under this term peace, you see. And, and the public don't realize this. Um, remember, too, that the communist definition of peace, which is all part of the same thing because it was all funded from London, mm -hmm. and, uh, the whole communist uh, revolution, um, as part of the dialectic, well, they said that the peace to them was absence of all opposition. Ah, okay. And then going further down, that the conflict between person to person, man to man, woman to woman, and also the end of conflict between male and female. Well, how would you do that? How would you do that? Think about it all. <laughs> because these guys literally put lots of work on, on all of this, and that's why they knew in the 1800s they were definitely going to try and destroy marriage, for one thing. They destroyed intergenerational bonds between parent and child and, uh, and, and leave the state to indoctrinate them. That's what Bertrand Russell talked about 
in his particular books, uh, The Impact of Science on Society and uh, Education and the Good Life and Roads to Freedom. So you, you find that this has been widely publicized in a sense, but not read by the public much. It's all in the libraries there if you want them. Uh, the whole agenda was laid out of the ending of interpersonal conflict. And so their solution was to eventually evaluate every human being's right to reproduce and decide which ones to sterilize, which ones to be allowed to be born, and right down to the fact that overcrowding could be a problem too, leading to conflict. So they, they therefore would... Um, All right, let me stop you. Let me stop you. I think we got here. We're back. Michael Herzog, The American Awakening, coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona. A short segment coming up at the bottom of the hour here, and we're talking with my guest, Alan Watt, on the Kyoto Treaty. Uh, Alan, go ahead and continue. I'm sorry we had to take a break there. Um, yeah, the, the end of conflict, as I say, is to, is to define all those things that cause conflict. What they really mean is, is, is conflict, which upsets the rhythm of their system, makes it inefficient and non-productive. That's really what mm-hmm. they mean. And so interpersonal relationships would have to alter and that's why they brought in what they call casual sex. And that was written about vastly by um, Thomas Huxley, Professor Thomas Huxley, who was the grandfather of Aldo Huxley. And um, he also was a friend of Charles Darwin. He said that eventually they'd, they'd create free love. This is in the 1800s he wrote this. And yeah. promote it in the next century to destroy the last vestiges of marriage. And if they could get everyone hooked on, on casual sex then the state would be in charge of the individual. There'd be no family unit to stand up against the state and any individual. Well, this treaty seems to encompass a broad spectrum because I know I'm, you know, I've come through an article um, yesterday that was talking about the carbon reduction, yeah, carbon yeah. dioxide, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking, it reminds me, I was, I was riding back from Plainfield, New Hampshire with John Stadmiller, and he happened to pick up a mainstream newspaper that was talking about carbon monoxide and carbon reductions and credits and so forth, which evidently ties right into this treaty, and I was, I mean, the, the spin if you will, that was put on it in mainstream media and the excuses they were coming up with, and I can't even remember what they were off the top of my head now, but they were so outlandish <laughs> that it was just, you know, we were just rolling on the floor laughing at the lies they were coming up with. Yeah. I mean, carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide emissions, we're talking about taxing people to breathe That's for right. out loud. That's right. Um, I, I, was, I think it was the first one to even bring that out to the public as you realize they're talking about your breath here. They're going to tax your breath here. <laughs> I mean, it reminds me of the old George Harrison song, you know, the tax man. For crying out loud, tax the pennies on your eyes, tax the air you breathe. You know, you're going to have a, you're actually going to have a, a you know, a, a, what do you call it, a, a coin slot on your toilet in your home for crying out loud by the time these people get through. Um, and then, then we take it even further than that. You're talking about splitting up, you know, literally they, they are against marriage. They're against the family unit. But I, I can see that, you know, the... Uh, in China, they have a one-child policy, don't they? Yeah, they do. It's enforced, too. And at one time, they even used to... This is the technique they're going to bring on the rest of the world. It's called so- the creation of social approval and social disapproval. And uh, at one time, they used to have to bring in the local militia to pull a woman out who was pregnant with a second child in China. And now they have the population around them so conditioned that the neighbors will actually do it. They'll drag out a woman themselves and deliver her to the abortion clinic and make sure she has the abortion. 
because it's, they've, they've been trained to believe that uh, that child is going to take food from them uh, by simply existing and it wasn't fair on society so the creation of approval, social disapproval is being implemented even now here we call it political correctness mm -hmm. same thing uh -huh. but we're developing a of tattletales if you will uh, well, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. People yeah. that are spying on each other, and uh, I mean, I know that you know, for example, and I know this is you know this is going on throughout in the medical profession. It's going on in uh, CPS where they will come in for any one of a myriad of reasons, mostly unfounded. They will take a, a person's child, and they're getting federally funded to actually adopt out the child, and the government is uh, paying them I don't know what five to eight thousand dollars per per head. Yeah. Um, to do this. So they're actually fueling the problem as opposed to correcting it. Uh, yeah, and actually it's going along with their agenda because if you have parents who decide to try and give uh, a different type of moral uh, upbringing to that child that's in conflict with the system's authorized method, then they'll, they'll, uh, they'll definitely take that child away if they can under many guises because they want every child to, be, to have the same indoctrination by the state which is just mind control, really. And, um, again, Bertrand Russell and others who had experimental schools authorized by the British Crown back in the 1920s uh, said eventually they'd make sure that everyone the world over would have a standardized indoctrination in school uh, for, for their particular society that they're going to create. And the, the National Educational Association is only part of the International Educational Association so every country is getting trained along the same methods. Yeah. And it's getting worse by the day. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. You know, I, I, had, I had picked up a, uh, oh, in an interview you had on another network, I, I've been stealing these other guys' <laughs> questions, but, but, you know, there's, there's an interesting topic that you brought up about the rat trap, and it, uh, it reminded me, Back in the, I believe it was late 80s to early 90s, when they first came out with a cell phone. The cell phone, if you recall, was not, I asked them if I, you know, I wanted a cell phone, but they told me that it would not operate in my automobile. And since I spent most of my time in an automobile, they told me that I needed a car phone. Because the it didn't have enough wattage or whatever in the cell phone to, to you know, to operate from the car. So... I went ahead and bought um, a car phone, and I used it for several years. And then, coincidentally, all of a sudden, they come out with a cell phone that now, for some mysterious reason, operates in, an, uh, in a car. Now, but they had that technology all along. They, they had just it had in World this, War II. Uh -huh. yeah. They had it in World War II. So what they do is they implement this. They, first of all, maximize their marketing strategy to sell off everything that they're going to sell in a particular, you know, uh, uh, um, we got to go to a break, a, a particular type of uh, uh, instrument until they've saturated the market, and then they move up to the next phase to do it to you again. That's right. Uh, yeah, hold on just a second. We'll be back in a break. We'll be back in three. My guest, Alan Watt, we're going to expound on this a little bit further when I get back, so stick with us. Michael Herzog, The American Awakening, coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona. All right. 
Anyway, we're back. Michael Herzog, the American Awakening, coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona, with my special guest, Alan Watt, with me every Friday. And, Alan, let me continue on this. Uh, I was going to make a point here. They, it seems that, you know, they, they sell everybody a car phone until all the car phones are sold. Then they say, okay, we've got a cell phone now that will work in the car, so everybody buys one of those. Um, the next step up is all these people are standing in line for three, four, and five days in a row to buy an iPod. Um, you know, and, and then they exhaust the market with that. The same thing holds true with television sets. I, you know, I went shopping for a TV set you know, a couple of months ago, and right on the front of the brand new TV screen, it says, uh, "I think it's February 17th of 2009." This TV will not work anymore because we're going from an analog signal to a digital signal. So you have to either buy a new TV or get some kind of a government box and pay extra for. And this is all by design. They have all this stuff that's already the technology is already there. They're just exhausting the market and before they step you up to the next level, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's piecemeal. They dish it out piecemeal. And uh, they could have given us uh, computers that you carried in your pocket 40, 50 years ago because they had it in, in the high agencies of, uh, of the secret services of uh, certain countries. And they even showed one on an old PATH, replay PATH news, replay of the Normandy landings, World War II, where a particular um, announcer, a well-known announcer, went in with the troops. And he said, you'll never guess how this is being shown to you. He says, I'm using this, this um, particular gadget. And he showed a cell phone with a little camera and a screen on it. And it's been transmitted across the Atlantic. Was that by chance Edward R. Murrow? I think it may have been him, yeah. And, and he said, surely everyone will have one of these. So they kept it quiet for another 50 years. <laughs> well, I look at it, though, I mean, it's, it's almost like rats in a maze because, uh -huh. you know, you're, you're at the iPods right now. Then you've got the National ID Act that's supposed to be implemented in May of 2008. And that's occurred to an RFID chip. And, and, they may, and they glamorize it through the, the, the uh, mainstream media to the point where at, at, at some point, and I, I am assuming that the, the next step after this RFID chip will probably be a brain implant, a chip of some sort, yeah. um, to, to get us all of a hive mentality. Would I be far off that? Not at all. In fact, it's, it's quite, yeah, it's, it's a step-by-step -step training program. We're all being trained. That's all we, we're playing, uh, you see, and it's the most of people. And step by step, you're being guided along from one mousetrap to the next, the next to the big one, which really was the goal in the first place to get you to actually accept a brain chip. You couldn't jump these stages and just hit a, a society that was still on the old phone with the cords and so on with a brain chip. They'd be a hullabaloo. So mm -hmm. you, you train them step by step until they're walking around in crowds but still talking on the phone with someone somewhere else. Uh, that's why it's called a cell phone. You're in a sub, you're separate from the rest of the people. And at some point, I'm sure that these cell phones will uh, be minimized to a point where they will be able to either implant it or they'll put it right directly into your ear or something of that nature. But, uh, you know, in, in saying this, and I look at, you know, we are in an info war. We are in a war really to wake up the mind of the American people. It's a war for their mind, Alan. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, we have battles that we win with, uh, oh, you know, the immigration bill got shot down, I think, because of enormous pressure we put on the senators it was shot down, at least for the time being. But in, in light of that, I, I could almost visualize if, if we were to lose this war, if you will, 
that I could visualize uh, an underground society, if you will, old school rebels. For example, you know, in some of these futuristic movies you've seen, one of Arnold Schwarzenegger comes to mind, where the Terminator, I believe, where they had these people underground that were the resistance, you know. you know, in your mind, what percentage of the uh, the public at large would have to be awake, would have to cut through this matrix in order to create a winnable situation for us? You'd have, it's not just a matter of numbers. It's a matter of the right people with, with the right facts and the ability to put it across and cut through the conditioning of the people around them. It's, it's a technique that you have to know to cut through uh, all of their incredible indoctrination uh, and hit them in a, such a way that they're initially oblivious to the fact it isn't until later that they realize what you've said because your, their minds will start thinking about it and they can't stop thinking about it. So there's techniques involved. Science has been used against them and science has to be used to deprogram them. Uh, otherwise, it's a waste of time. Uh, and it, it, it doesn't take too many uh, to do it um, of the right people uh, if they're, they're dedicated to what they're doing. This is a war for everything. If there's no mind and no sentience, it's all over. Right. There's no going cool. back. And they have as much to lose as we do. Uh, and the reality is, because, let's, I mean, let's face it, Alan, if indeed they were to be exposed, there would be no place for them to run. They, they would wouldn't be. be. In fact, again, you see, they have their power only because the masses give it to them. They acquiesce by their silence to everything that's done to them. And, uh, and that's why, as I say, they chose this strange thing called democracy, knowing that 80% of the public will always do what the elite want them to do anyway. Um, it's, it's always been a minority up from along down through history, and that's what they hope to eradicate is that, that small percentage. That small percentage, yeah. That is very powerful in itself when it goes into action. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's talk for a minute about the law. And I, one thing comes to mind. And I don't know how how closely you follow what goes on in the United States because I know you live in Canada. For example, uh, um, well, there's an article that I pulled out of Op-Ed News: "The Day the Rule of Law Died," and it uh, alludes to the uh, uh, the Bush commuting of the sentence of Scooter Libby. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, uh, here's a gentleman that, you know, basically obstructed justice. He was convicted. He was uh, um, supposed to serve, a, I don't know, about a two-and-a-half-year two sentence. And uh, uh, George Bush uh, ultimately commuted his sentence. He didn't pardon him, but he commuted his sentence. And my take on that is that if he would not have commuted his sentence, it's a good possibility that Scooter Libby knew enough about what was going on behind the scenes that he could have created a real problem for Dick Cheney and George Bush. You think I'm um, pretty close on it's possible, but I think, to be honest with you, uh, the Cheney's and the Bush have got permission to do what they're doing. They're just front men, really. They're dedicated to it, definitely Cheney is. Um, when you see that who, who were, were their mentors in school, you had Strauss that came over, who was, even though he was Jewish, he was a, an, an authorized card-carrying Nazi who was told, told to go out into the world and train future Nazis, and I think he ended up at MIT. Uh, these were the, that was the mentor of Cheney and these guys. And Rumsfeld, so they're dedicated to this cause, and and um, so they're front men, but they take orders from those above them. You see, you have a parallel government above them, a shadow government. And Professor right. Quigley also said that too in his book Tragedy and Hope, and uh, the Anglo-American establishment. He said there has been and has been for at least 60 years 
uh, a parallel government uh, which has run this country, he said. Um, and, of course, he was the historian, the official historian for the Council on Foreign Relations. They have their in-house historian, and he was a member of it, and um, he didn't object to their goals. He was all for their goals. He simply thought that it was time to let the public know that uh, their betters, their superiors, uh, the intellectuals were now in charge, as, as he thought it should be. So, well, right. The I mean, government's been here for a long time. Right. Carol Quigley was uh, Bill Clinton's mentor. Um, and others, and others. He was also a special advisor to the State Department and uh, foreign diplomats and so on on cultural uh, differences between nations, their histories, and all that kind of thing. Because they use professors to... to um, to teach Matt's techniques of uh, strategy because the world is a chess game to them. Politics, the top international politics is a chess game. Well, that's why it's so, I'm so fascinated, you know, to have you on my show is because I'm a fledgling. You know, I, I only woke up to, to this whole, you know, reality, uh, oh, about two years ago. And, uh, you know, it, there's, there's literally no limit to how deep you go. You can go back into the history for thousands of years and see this play out time and time again. Um, and if a person were to do that and do research, you know, from now until the day they took their last breath, you couldn't cover it all. Um, the, so, so, you know, it's, a, it's an honor to have somebody up here that really knows what they're talking about. Now, I want to talk for a minute. Um, these these CDs that you have put together of literally deprogramming, how many hours would we say that there are in total of um, uh, educational review? 24 hours. Uh, each one of the, the, the discs, the MP3s, has 12 hours each on the, in, the ancient cultures and how this was, these control techniques were used then on people, mm -hmm. mainly by special priesthoods who were trained in this. No different from the pharaohs of ancient Egypt. Uh, the first thing that the pharaoh was taught when he was a boy was how to control the minds of the public because of the, the nature of the public, um, um, their, their drives and so on. Then you had always by war the, the serpent in front of their, their head, uh, the, the aureus, the sign of wisdom, because they guarded which, with that which came into their minds. Whatever comes into your mind, pure hold on things. And so the public were not used because the, the, those that in front of their minds were the ones who were dictating to the minds of the general populace, and they didn't want anything guarding their minds. Nothing has changed. It's the same symbology. Right. So these CDs basically take the uh, um, individual through a, uh, a journey, if you will, through ancient times all the way up to the present and kind of interweave... Uh, Showing them how they are used or how their minds are manipulated through the. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, you know what? We have, I believe, just a second here. Uh, <laughs> I just got a message here. I thought we had a. I thought we had a caller. By the way, I am going to open up the phone lines. Um, take a few calls for some questions and comments to my guest Alan Watt, if you'd like. It's eight hundred three one three nine four four three, and. Uh, yeah, I keep getting messages popping up here. So at any rate, back to this for a moment. Okay, so we've got, what is it, two or three CDs, uh, Alan? There's two CDs with MP3s, and um, okay. I have more to come out, actually. Uh, there's a lot of hours I've got put by. And I also have DVDs where I explain um, a lot of the techniques that are used and show you symbols, etc., interspace with my talks, uh, which, in effect, open up the mind to what you're really seeing in front of you, but generally you're not on a conscious level aware of it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now, I've always uh, uh, been of the theory, and I don't know, have you seen the movie Freedom to Fascism, by chance? I haven't, no. All right. It's a movie that came out by Aaron Russo regarding the, you know, the Ed and Elaine Brown stance. I mean, he made the movie before they obviously took their stance, but it's about no law uh, regarding uh, uh, income tax. And I've always been of the opinion that, you know, that is a that is an issue. The income tax is an issue that affects all Americans. And if they see that and they see that the government is lying to them about that particular issue, then it opens up their mind and makes them a little more uh, objective to the belief that if they're lying to him about that, then they're obviously, they could be lying to him about other things as well. I mean, it's, you know as well as I do, Alan, it's a lot to lay on somebody yeah. that hasn't got a clue, that lose, lives in their illusionary reality. It's a lot to lay on somebody that everything literally that they've been taught all the way from, you know, cradle to where they're at this particular point in time has been a lie, including yeah. their history books have been a lie. Oh, tremendous, tremendous. Uh, I don't think there's a country in the world outside of Britain that's had so much uh, re rewriting of their, even their recent history uh, as the U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll tell you what, let's go to a call. You want to? Um, yeah. Let's go to Richard in Alabama. Richard, you're on with Alan and Michael. Go ahead. Hello, Richard. Is Richard... He just dropped. Okay, well, Richard in Alabama, I just took your call. You hung up. If you want to call back, we've still got a few minutes. I'll be happy to take your call. Um, yeah, okay, back where we were. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's so overwhelming. I take my own personal experience, Alan. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know when it was that you started uh, your journey down this road. I don't know how many years ago you started it, but it, mine was only a couple of years ago. And I was so, um, well, what, how would my wife put it? Uh, um, awestruck, dumbfounded, uh, gobsmacked, there's the word, okay, yeah. <laughs> in the Scottish term, that I, I literally couldn't function for, I mean, I, I, I literally went off the deep end a little bit uh, for probably about, I don't know, uh, six to eight weeks. I literally had a difficult time functioning because my entire reality was rocked to a point where I didn't know how to function anymore because I didn't know what to believe. I didn't know what not to believe. I didn't know who to believe. I didn't know who to talk to. And there's a paranoia that comes into play there for a while. Did you experience that? No, I, 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 uh, I, I kind of grew up this way, just watching and, and figuring out and then going to study from an early age what was really happening and and even going into old libraries I was lucky enough that I was a, again uh, a different kind of child so I, I got adult library cards I, I can get into the adult libraries and in Europe and, and especially in Scotland and um, I, I checked out the histories of only a hundred years ago two hundred years before and books that were written at the time and and uh, I, I realized I was getting taught completely different histories in school Mm-hmm. And when I brought that up to the teachers, well, they didn't even know that the books I'd read in the main libraries um, even existed. Oh, they, that must they, have they'd, they'd also been brainwashed, too, you see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and listen, we've got a couple... That clued me in, yeah. Yeah, all right, we, we don't have much time left. We've got a couple of callers back. We've got Richard. Uh, let's go to Richard in Alabama real quick. Go ahead, Richard. You're on with Michael and Alan. Hi. Hi. Uh, I want you to comment on a policy that the United Nations has, and it's for the, the non-white nations will have the right to only naturalize people of their own race. 
and they give automatic citizenship if you can prove your paternity, meaning through your father and his father, and, and they issue documents without the place of birth. Therefore, if they, one of their citizens, gets inside the United States without a visa, and if they are smart enough to not admit where they were born, and their documentation doesn't show where they were born, it becomes impossible to throw them out of any of these white nations. Will you comment on that? Will I comment on it, or will Alan comment on yeah, it? Yeah, Alan. Uh, you Alan, see a okay. pattern yeah. to that? Well, the policy definitely was, if you want to bring a culture down, it isn't because they like black or white or any other color. The elite are a club to themselves, almost a separate race. And it isn't that they like anyone. Uh, the, the fastest way to bring the culture down in this society at this time is to introduce mass immigration from completely opposing cultures and out of that chaos they will destroy the old to bring in the new. It's not because they actually care anymore for a black peasant, uh, a Chinese peasant or a British peasant. Uh, we're all peasants to them. It's just a faster way to bring down the existing culture. Especially the one that still has a memory of having freedoms or individual rights. Okay. All right, Richard. Um, uh, I hope that answers your question. I've got to run. I've only got a few minutes left, buddy, and then I've got, to, I've got to go to a break. I've got more callers on the line. I want to get to all of them. So thank you so much for the input, Richard. Okay, let's go to Melissa in Texas. Melissa, you're on with Michael and Alan. I've got to hold you over for the break here, and then I'll give you one minute when we get back, okay? Yeah, I hear the music. Okay. Be back in three. Stick with us for Alan Watt and Michael Herzog. All right, we're back. Michael Herzog, final segment coming up before John Statmiller's uh, National Intel Report. Melissa, you got one minute, dear. I've got, I'm sorry, my lines are loaded, and I'm trying to get to everybody, so go ahead. Okay, um, a comment, I guess. And, Alan, I've been to your website, and it's very interesting. Um, just that these people that think of themselves as the elite, they actually believe that they're a, a god race, uh, and they, they think of us as not even human. And um, then earlier in the show, you were talking, both of you were talking about, uh, I think you brought it up, um, Michael. Michael, that, that the um, persons and uh, the difference between persons and human beings. Right, I'm talking about legalese. Right, in, in, right, in but it all fits in. And the human being, I remember years ago, this would be like 10 years ago, something about a human being is uh, someone who is being human, but they're not quite human, because these elite think of themselves as humans, and they have allowed certain ones to become human beings. Okay, uh, i got to stop you. I, I, you know, I, I understand. Thanks for the comment. I've got to stop you, though. I have very little time left. I've got okay. more callers on the line. Okay, thanks, Melissa. Let's go to John in California. John, you're on with Michael and Alan. Go ahead. Yeah, One minute. Hey, uh, I was curious if Alan has his material available for people that do not have access to the Mnet. Alan? Uh, yeah, um, you can you can get the books, uh, the, the DVDs, and uh, the CDs from me, and I will be putting a lot that's on Internet, on disk, uh, in the near future, which I can then send out. Do you have a mailing address or phone number? Yeah, it's um, if you write to me, Alan Watt, W-A-T-T, -T, and that's Site 41, Box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, -E, Ontario, Canada, P-3-E-4-N for Nora, one, uh, then I can uh, send it out to you or send you a list of the prices or something. Okay, Very good. John, I got, 
Yeah, I, I have that address, and it wouldn't hurt to repeat it. Thank you very much. All right. We'll repeat it one more time at the end. Let's go to Ron in New York real quick. Ron, you got 30 seconds. Go ahead. For Alan, real quick, the Muslim terrorists, they hate Westerners, Christians, Americans. So how are they being used in this in, in the state-sponsored terrorism? Uh, how, how are the actual uh, Christians and so on? Used? No, 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 how are they the being Muslims. used? How are the terrorists who hate Americans, hate Christians, hate Westerners? There are there are Middle Eastern terrorists now. How, how do we how do we match that with with ones who are being used by the New World Order to do this? To, you know, to bring us into a police state. And you we have to realize that the religious scam and having people enter war with religions is the biggest one uh, and the most common one down through history. You had, you had wars went on for 50, 30, sometimes 100 years over religion, and it's all a technique to, to convince the public that their God is right. The public end up with nothing, but the elite who started all end up with everything. Um, you have to stop, uh, you have to cross the barriers between religions and talk person to person. Um, from, from individual to individual because we're all going to perish in this this system that's but coming they're up. being used to bring America to police state, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. Terror is a fantastic method to terrify the public into giving up all their rights. So they're being uh, so sponsored or hired or whatever the term is? It's divide that. and conquer, Ron. It's divide and conquer. Okay, they're 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 using one against the other. Listen, we got to run, buddy. We're out of time. Okay, uh, Alan, I'm I'm I want you to give out your address for that other listener one more time. Okay, uh, while we still have a minute left, go ahead. Okay, Alan Watt, W A T T, Site 41, Box 4, East Air, which is E S T A I R E, Ontario, Canada. And P for Peter, 3, E for Elizabeth, 4, N for Nora, 1. Thank you, Alan. Thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, I'll talk to you. Uh, I'll talk to you off the air next week. Okay. Thanks again.